So, Mike, let me tell you a story. Mm. It was uh, maybe about three years ago now. I was invited to speak at the uh, World Forum Foundation on Early Care and Education in Auckland, New Zealand. And I was sitting down, you know, I'm part of that the yeah, men's group there. Absolutely. And so I'm sitting down with one of my colleagues and mentors, uh, Ron, Ron Blatz over at, and he's from uh, Winnipeg and he uh, in Manitoba and he's, um, he's That's a, Canada. Yeah, in oh, Canada. Yeah. yeah, Eastern Canada, uh, almost central. Eastern Canada, I believe, you know, us Americans aren't so great at geography. Honestly, fifth grade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, we're sitting down for lunch and, and he's asking me, you know, what's some, what are some like things that I talk about or don't talk about with children? And, um, and Ron, if you're hearing this story, shout out to you and all the great work you do. <laughs> Hope you're well. And so I start telling him like that. I don't, I find it really valuable to teach kids not to say, I'm sorry. You know, that I go into this whole spiel of how I feel saying sorry is just just this filler. And it teaches kids that it's okay to say this one word and then run away from the situation uh -huh. because they f fulfilled their uh, their obligation to remedy it. Right. <laughs> and so we're chatting about it and he's kind of like looking at me and I'm reading his face and it's kind of like, I'm like, is he, does he think I'm just like the biggest idiot or, <laughs> or what, or he's going to be super mad. And I'm totally forgetting that he's Canadian. <laughs> and that's an important aspect, people. And I shout out and love to all our Canadians out there. And but then he just looks at me and I'm like, well, so what do you think, Ron? And he just shakes his head and he says, you would make a horrible Canadian. <laughs> and he's like, we say sorry for everything. You know, we apologize about the weather and like, you know, sorry, it's so cold. here. And so I just thought that was, you know, an interesting tidbit for our topic today. All right, y'all. So everyone knows that childcare is essential. We're some of the most influential people out there. Yet, we are often overworked and underpaid. So how can you work full time, have hobbies, show your friends and family love, self-care, and also fine tune your skills and grow more in depth? That's where we come in. These NAPCAST 25, 30 minute segments are designed to help you learn on the go, hear another perspective, spark debate, <laughs> heck, even agree with us, but honestly, remind you that you're not alone. We live in a complex world, so allow us to challenge your perspective. So are your headphones in? Did you turn the volume up? All right now, good. Let's get it. Welcome to NAPCAST a podcast produced by Hilltop Children's Center in Seattle, Washington, on the traditional lands of the first people of Seattle, the Duwamish people. I'm your co-host, Nick Terunas, and my pronouns are he, him, and the usual, I'm joined by... Yeah, I feel like I'm like your Luigi to Mario, and, um, you know, or maybe probably the Toad to the Princess. Anyways, the other co-host, Mike Brown, and my pronouns are he, him, and... Um, <laughs> First of all, gotta say, amazing intro, Nick. I appreciate this, and I really love this topic because I 100% agree with it. Um, so I don't know if I can be Canadian, Australian, <laughs> New Zealand, and nothing. I'm definitely a New Yorker, and um, you know, I don't even know if these words are even in my vocabulary anymore. Like, what am I? What am I talking about? The words? The words? I'm sorry. And I can't wait to really sink my teeth into this, man. Yeah. And yeah, Mike, I'm, I'm psyched about it too. Hold up. 
am I Mario and the princess here, Luigi and Toad? If so, that's fine with me. I'll take it as long as we're together, man. Aww. And, you know, yeah, thanks for uh, indulging me on this topic. I know we we brought it up like a while ago, yeah. and I know it was something that intrigued you. And I was curious why it intrigued you. And so I'm, I'm psyched to hear that you uh, that it, it vibes with you. And, you know, and I hope everyone out there can find a space to explore with us about why you and I have exercised the words I'm sorry out of our own vocabulary as well as how I don't even bother to teach the toddlers I work with to say that they're sorry. And, you know, I I, honestly, I wasn't sure how you would react. And so I'm glad that we're doing this Um, because in general, when I've tried to break this down to other people, it's always met with some resistance and and Mm. maybe a little bit of contentiousness. Of course, man. And I, and I want to preface this, this conversation. We're like in a little, but shack little corner of our school we're doing professional development week so there's a ton of things going on so if you hear some chicken cooking in the background if you hear some people walking in and out uh i guess i'm not sorry yeah that's just how it is <laughs> just listen closer right so you know what let's start right there that's my first question man like why does sorry suck yeah well and let's look at why we chose the word to say sucks Right. I remember as a, as a teen, my mom would harp on me about saying, not, don't say that, don't say that, you know, and, and I think we know that that choice of words means that it's something negative. Mm. And I like to say sorry sucks because just saying s- sorry sucks all the effort out of the actual empathy building process mm. in, apo- in apologizing. What you preaching this morning. <laughs> yeah. I had my coffee. I'm ready to go. <laughs> and, you know, to me, it's like this quick one-off solution to say you empathize with the situation. It's superficial. Also for me, the phrase, I'm sorry, um, is just so empty. I think these days, and honestly, it's quite patronizing for me and take a look at how our like Western culture has bastardized this word, the phrase, sorry, not sorry, or saying, saying something like, sorry, but, Mm. You know, and there's even a game called Sorry for crying out loud, <laughs> where the, the game's intent is to knock someone out of place. But then you're supposed to say, I'm sorry. So it becomes this like, yeah, it just really takes a lot of the umph out of the, the phrase. Um, and there seems to be several kinds of sorry. I was just thinking about before we hopped on, you know, there's the typical quick fix. I empathize with you. Mm-hmm, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the word. Uh, there, then it, this is the word that's supposed to like allevi- alleviate a situation quickly and you should just get over it. And then there's the sort of sarcastic, well, sorry, but really I'm not sorry. And it's like, why are you even saying it? And I know it sounds like to a lot of people out there that maybe these two guys are just airing out a pet peeve <laughs> and that's fine. And maybe they're thinking, hey, these guys are really reaching here. But, you know, I think with everything that we do with children and families or whenever you're in these really um, emotionally invested social relationship based situations, especially at your workplace, it's important to reflect on our language and consider why we say something, analyze our intentions behind words and really scrutinize their usefulness and effectiveness. Um, Saying sorry has just become such a customary thing that I wonder if today it holds any actual impact or are we just trying to hold on to some archaic cultural custom, you know, it's saying, sorry, is just a fluffer and a filler. 
and I appreciate you saying that, you know, it's that, it's that intentionality piece. Mm-hmm. So, like, for me, man, sorry is just kind of one of those words that, like you said, is loss of significance. It's a, it's a word thrown around. Um, and, and when you throw it around, like, the way that we do in this society, in this culture, it starts to lose its meaning. It starts to lose, like, its heart. I, I equate mm-hmm. it to the same thing as, how are like, how are you? Are you asking me how are you? Because that's how we've been socialized to greet each other. Or actually, or are you actually like stopping, looking me in my eyes, and generally caring about my well-being? You know, and you know, I was gonna wait till a little later, but I'm gonna bring it up now as a racialized being, because mm-hmm. that's what I do, right? No time I like can't, the present. <laughs> I can't help but look at it through a racialized lens. And, and I also look at it through a class lens. You know, mm-hmm. I grew up poor and I grew up black. And what kept us alive, what nourished our souls, was that relationship piece. And not, I'm not meaning to cut you off, Mike, but you know, um, when when you had presented this idea of the, you know, like yeah, the emptiness of how are you, mm. I'm like catching myself like say that to people, but then I'm I'm trying to be cognizant of like, well, maybe someone's gonna be like, I'm not doing well. Mm-hmm. So to stop and look at them in the eyes and, and I wonder how many people actually are just so used to be like, I'm good. I'm fine. We've been conditioned. Right. And then you just move on. And what I would love, you know, I want to try to practice to just throw people for a loop. You know, how are you? <laughs> I'm not doing so great. Exactly. And will they stop and try to continue the conversation mm-hmm. or is it that customer of like, all right, I checked my box of the socialization mm-hmm. and now I just keep walking. Uh-oh. But it's true because yeah. we we're living in a time where there's, you know, we're it's really bringing to our consciousness, to our mainstream consciousness, the inequities that are happening and how black bodies are being slain. You know, we even looking yeah. at last night, um, my, my man's from Wisconsin, yeah, you know, trying to get back into the car and being shot, and his um, his children are in the background, his whole family exactly. in the car, yeah. You know, we're also dealing with COVID, and there are people who are out here struggling. Right, who are mentally struggling and they need that reach out because that could be the difference. Reaching out and actually caring and actually meaning, having some weight behind your words to be like, "Hey, how are you?" And generally mean that could take someone off the ledge. Right? Yeah, yeah, and show them that you're stopping to take the time to listen. Yeah. Oh man, I, I just think about all these words and going back to just the word "sorry." Uh, a part of this, all of what we're trying to say is that. You know, language is key. Language is big. And I'm really big on that. And I'm, I'm really big on meaning what you say. Mm-hmm. I, I guess it's part of the communications background I have. Right. Uh, I guess it's part of the culture. I really want, and I said this before, I really want weight behind our words, your words, and not just these blanket statements. So, you know, if I, if I tell you my homegirl caught COVID-19 and you tell me, oh, I'm sorry, like my first initial gut reaction is like, what are you sorry about? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you to critically examine those words. Uh, are you sorry because you made her sick? <laughs> are you sorry because it made you upset to hear it? Uh, or are you sorry because you have nothing else to say? And I'm not here for your pity. I'm not here for your puppy dog eyes. You know, if anything, tell me it sucks. (laughs) Tell me it's horrible. Tell me I hope she feels better soon. Telling me you're sorry does absolutely nothing for me. Empathize with me, not sympathize. And if you can't empathize, then, you know, 
I, I don't know. <laughs> I guess, you know, I I 100% understand how this comes across. And I've been called everything from heartless to a jerk to words the FCC won't approve of. <laughs> and to that, I say I'm sorry for being unapologetically back, black, you know, for being me. Yeah, but don't be sorry for that, right? <laughs> right. And and I think, you know, and, you know, to what you, one of the last sentences you says, like, you know, if you if you can't empathize, empathize with me, then maybe just keep stepping, keep going. Sure. Or, or, again, be cognizant of what you're saying and always be cognizant of what you're saying all the time, mm. right? Because we should say what we mean and mean what we say. And that's something I don't know where I heard that little saying, but that is something that has always stuck with me. Mm. And so I, me personally, I'd rather just stay quiet if I am not going to say what I mean and mean what I say. And yeah. And, you know, and I hear you on being called the uh, heartless jerk. And <laughs> I've even had someone tell me that I was a sociopath because I didn't explicitly say I'm sorry about a situation. I was like, right. no, I know what I said about exactly. it. And I, that's what I intended, you know, I'm not going to be sorry for how you feel about it. Mm -hmm. Sure. At times, or I, maybe I'm going to learn and have learned that there are other choice words I can, I can make, but mm -hmm. I'm not going to just say, I'm sorry because it's going to make you feel better. Absolutely. That's not my job in those particular moments. And I'll, um, you know, and I also think that in some situations saying sorry is just an excuse to an allowable excuse to cover up one's, tracks or try to fix a mistake you know and yeah yeah mm. so i mean but that's that's us right yeah and that's what we believe in and because of you know that or, or this unapologetic stance we have this idea of why sorry sucks um also becomes a part of our work with children yep and in order to kind of like support children in learning why sorry sucks it means they have to identify and understand their feelings first. And I know you have an arsenal of tools that you excel in. And I mean, I would know over the years, I've written a handful of blogs about you. Um, you know, you've written a boatload of blogs about it. We shot a video together around your work on social emotional learning. Um, and that was, uh, we put that up on our segment called Community Voices. You can always check that out by visiting. You know, I got to plug this in. Oh, always. you got it. Yep. <laughs> Hilltopcc.com backslash institute backslash voices. And honestly, I'm also thinking about the times you've been featured in a handful of resources on Exchange Magazine, as well as uh, you did that. Um, you did the podcast with Nini White yep. called Big Picture Social Emotional Learning. And if memory serves me right, it was like, 67 episode 67 68 yep anyways it was back in like may right and may 2020 and so i'm, I'm taking all of that experience in in work you've done over the years i think it's just important for us to hear how do you support children in naming framing expressing their feelings yeah and and you know really like what we do for children's is what we do for uh for humankind, mm -hmm. you know, is what we're doing for all of us. Um, and, you know, social emotional learning is a lifetime journey and it does not start and end in childhood. I know you and I have talked about the various ways of where we recognize our faults and missteps and where we've got to improve on particular mm -hmm. things. And that's us being having the tools and the experience to be able to do that 
on our own free will. A lot of the times children don't have that. And that's our job as educators in mm-hmm. the lives of children is to give them tools to be able to, to do that. And, you know, as human beings at all ages and stages of life, we're constantly bombarded with experiences that elicit emotions, many of which we experience at the young age and, you know, being able to respond to them appropriately. And by that, I mean, in pro-social healthy, in a pro-social healthy sense, Mm. and that varies from culture to culture for sure, um, is what we can, we can make a huge difference in the relationships we make and sustain when we make those pro-social healthy choices. And, as with any life skill and ability, early experiences matter. And this is especially true when it comes to emotions and the cognition and dealing with them and self-control and self-regulation. And what I've learned over time and still figuring it out is that generally humans do not want to be fixed. I mean, sometimes that's true and there's avenues for that. And sometimes we need to know concrete examples of what to do. Um, But usually we just want to be listened to, acknowledged, validated, and in that process, empowered through a a process of self-discovery. And usually for children, this means they want to know what they're feeling, what does it mean in the context of feeling it, and what they can do with it. Uh, And, you know, the the process and framework behind these new complexities that they're they're getting. Man, you, you hit it on the head right there. Like... All I ever wanted growing up was to be valued, you know, validated, to be seen, to be visible. You know, my mom used to always say, be seen, not heard. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I heard remnants of all of that, you know, the value, visible, validated, and all of what you just said. And when I when I think about children's feelings... I think about being validated. Validation is not just a tool for educators, but very much a parenting tool. Mm-hmm. So what is validation, man? Like, what about this tool is so important? And not just how can you show it, but how can you validate a child when when they might be acting out or showing a range of emotions? You know, for my mom, she'd probably just be like, maybe the child feet are sweating, like we talked about before. Oh, yeah. And... But, you know, especially as I think about drop-off last week and how every child I was greeting at the door were having these, like, big and huge reaction across the spectrum from happiness to see me to, like, anger at their parents mm-hmm. to confusion to as to why, like, their adults or caretakers are leaving them for the first time with this stranger. And I was starting to feel like a little bit overwhelmed because we were having multiple children just like crying simultaneously. And I had like the feeling of all these parents and guardians looking at me. And I think like a part of that was my saboteur on my shoulder telling me, Mike, these parents will trust you. You're a male, you know, Mm -hmm. and all these little connotations that they associate with being a male in ECE. Like, can you really take care of my child? Right. Yeah. And, you know, that saboteur is like letting you know, like you're not like in the class mm-hmm. and maybe you haven't been uh, trained to be in the class or mm-hmm. whatever. So are you going to be able to help my child in this situation? Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Those saboteurs, what would you call that one? The sort of um, victimization, mm-hmm. you know, a victimizer saboteur. Yeah. We all carry those. And, and, it, and I think, you know, from a, 
it, it's an interesting thing to think about. You know, when do we start picking up on those saboteurs? Do children have these saboteurs? Mm. Or are they like learned yeah. over time because hmm. of the lack of tools given, right? That's good. That's good. That's and, a good question. And, and, and it comes back to your question about validation. Um, and again, validation to me is being is someone really acknowledging, vehemently acknowledging, like, I hear you, I see you. Mm-hmm. Would you like me to be in this situation with you Mm. and can i be a source of strength with you again not can i fix it for you Mm -hmm. but can i be there with you and and help shoulder whatever this burden is you know you know in our adult lens i think that burden for children looks pretty small and like hey come on get over it kid (laughs) i think it's easy for us to see that but what they need from us is like yeah you're saying goodbye Mm -hmm. and that feels sad Let's go be sad together. Yeah. You know, we're still going to say goodbye, but let's go be sad. And, you know, it's okay. And I'm liking I'm liking this thing you keep saying about fixing, right? Mm-hmm. So not fixing kids because, you know, our, our industry and our field is predominantly white. And when you start saying fixing and you're spe- specifically speaking about, you know, a black child mm-hmm. or indigenous child or a child of color, suddenly now you're starting to pick up remnants in in the ideology of the white savior complex right Right. we need to save these kids we need to fix these kids and uh, you know if we if we break that down and we stop having a deficit ideology and stop talking about these racial narratives that we associate to these kids and we flip that on its head through a strong image of the child right suddenly we see oh this child just needs an additional support right this child just needs to be brought in not me from the top down, like a top, not a top down approach, but a bottom up approach where you're sitting with the child and you're working hand in hand in partnership, in support, not to or not for this child. Yeah. And that's that validation piece. Mm. Um, and I think you're, you know, and that's a great tie in too, because I think a lot of the times, you know, I've talked about it on one of our other napcasts and we've talked about it together, especially with black and brown children that, you know, they aren't they aren't people to, to be fixed. Mm. And and then I think there's a lot of programs out there that try to do that, to try to fix the inequities that are bestowed upon them, that they're born into. And they're not something, they're not people who are to be integrated in to be fixed, right? Into certain situations like, Oh, if we just give them these things then it'll be okay. Mm. And, and I think it really speaks to what I hear you say and speaking to, you know, it speaks to, the power of process and really just being together. And it's interesting that we have that in part of our species, human being, right? Like mm-hmm. we're just we got to be together. Um, and I think, you know, what I hear you saying is like what we all need, just give love, yeah, you know, and really find like, find that space to just really, and sometimes being compassionate is that space of just being in that moment with that person. You know, and and just to kind of tie this all off is fixing. Like, just ask, ask a couple of my last girlfriends who tried to fix me, <laughs> you know? It's, it clearly didn't work. So, mm-hmm. you know, but that love and compassion is where, is, is where it should be rooted in. And that's how you get that value validated and visible. Yeah. And, you know, that idea of fixing, because usually the person trying to fix you and yes it's all there's a lot of good intentions behind it Mm 
Mm-hmm. And that fixing is like usually coming from what, how they think you should be. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's like the, the white savior complex. Yeah. Like, well, here's, here are the things that are going to fix you. So that way you fit into this particular mold to be okay. Mm-hmm. But that's my, that is generally not what the individual needs, especially as the child. Um, yeah. You know, and human beings and children, especially are resilient yeah. and children are so resilient because they don't have a lot of the, the burden of experience, uh-huh. you know, I, I want to coin that phrase there, the burden of experience. <laughs> I love it. Children are, are masters at just being in the moment. And, and I think that's the thing that we can really learn from them because they don't have, yeah, the burden of experience. You know, and when you, when you think about the burden of experience, I think my, just the, the socialization piece on, on my end as my experience of being a male Mm. And I read this study, you know, because sometimes I geek out on this stuff, but uh, I read this study that was authored by Tara Chaplin. And basically she, st- she stated that there are small but significant gender differences in emotional expressions. Um, and those have been reported for adults with women or women X showing greater emotional expressivity, mm-hmm. especially for positive emotions and internalizing negative emotions such as sadness, end quote. Mm. And I think part of our responsibilities as males in ECE is to break that cycle of toxic masculinity. I know we talked about that uh, with machismo in our last yeah. our last talk with Veronica, Nuestro Futuros, Nuestros Niños. Um, so as males in ECC, it's really to break that stigma that we should limit the expressions of our emotions. Um, and just also thinking about the role of culture and how that plays out, I just love to dig a bit deeper with that with you. So is it hard for you to externalize your emotions? Um, how does culture view males and emotions? And then kind of the last piece is how are you engaging in conversations with children about their emotional expressions? Yeah. Um, it's been, you know, yeah, I, I definitely have suffered from the typical um, yeah, machismo and even just the Western standard of men don't cry or mm. big boys don't cry. Yeah. Let's take that <laughs> expression, right? right? When big boys and boys are not allowed to cry, they take it out in other ways. And, and, mm. and often it's pretty negative. Yeah. Um, I have actively, and I would encourage any male listeners and, and, and if you have specifically an, a male identifying partner in your life or someone who seems to be emotionally stunted or blocked, I recommend this because this is what I've been doing. Um, not fixing. Not fixing. <laughs> I've been allowing myself to let go. Uh, it's like a muscle memory to not cry. Mm. And it is painful for me to actually allow myself to cry. It's mm. like unworking a muscle. Yeah. Because when I do find myself to try to cry – I just feel this immense, like this, I don't know how, you probably know what I'm talking about, Mike, like just this like seize up in my body that just stops it because I've been conditioned to do so for so long Mm -hmm. for 36 years. And, and it's become such a strong muscle that I'm trying to ease that muscle. And so what I do on my own time is I, and it sounds cheesy, but it's effective. I go on YouTube and I look at like 
soldiers returning home to their pets. Oh my goodness, that gets me every right? time. <laughs> or those things, right? Or like when the dad comes back from war and, and the daughter's like at a in the auditorium. Yeah. Like I'm starting to get a little like right? get the goosebumps right now. Can we take a break? <laughs> <laughs> and I just like allow myself to just cry and just try to like really force it out and like ah and just to like let it be and to snap that muscle that has Again, it's a muscle memory of just like, oh, I'm not going to cry. Mm-hmm. But, for me, it's a go Whitney Houston song. Woo! Oh, yeah, yeah. Florence and the Machine for me, yeah. you know, like some <laughs> some songs that just get you. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and some, and yeah, I just kind of have to let it be. And, you know, sometimes Ashley, my girlfriend, is like, are you, are you starting to cry about, like, <laughs> you well up about that? And she, she finds it endearing because she knows my struggles with it. Um, but it's, it's, you know, I think it's kind of humorous to her and to me as well, like the things that'll get me mm. because it's just for some reason strikes a chord and I'm like, okay, yeah, just let it do it. <laughs> or even like, you know, like a, a chicken being friends with a dog or whatever and yeah, like yeah. how they cuddle <laughs> together. I'm like, oh, this is so adorable. And I, I cut you off, but I think you were going to say how Ashley supports you. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Not it's not a ridicule. ridicule yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. But, you know, yeah, and I think to, to say all that in the way I describe that in my own body, I think is a testament to how our Western culture views male and emotions. Like we're supposed to be strong, right? And weak and, and crying and, and shedding tears is a sign of weakness. But it's just another emotion like laughing and, and like being angry. Mm. And, you know, and for some reason, it's okay for us to be destructive and angry, but it's not okay to be vulnerable and cry <laughs> when when we know and what we have seen so far in the world is that males being destructive and angry isn't progress for for humankind at all or for any society mm-hmm. and when i was in india teaching um a couple of years ago there was a commercial that that they were in india show like trying to put out there like boys should cry and mm-hmm. it was this um it was this young boy who was just went through this montage of through his age and they're like, don't cry. Don't cry. Oh, you don't cry. Big boys don't cry. Don't do that. And then later on it showed him just like just angry face and all tensed up. And he's obviously like squeezing his muscles. And then it's the camera zooms out and he's like holding a woman in like an arm bar mm. and like hurting her. Mm. And it said, allow your boys to cry. Otherwise they'll make others cry. Ooh. Ooh. Why does every country do something so much more better than us? But I, damn, you know. And I, now that I'm working at Hilltop and being with the children, I, I've never been more conscientious in my life about how I ex- externally express my emotions mm-hmm. um, than when I'm with the children in our program. And it really does vary for me. I think with the age difference. So being with toddlers, being with preschoolers is so much easier for me. You know, it's just, I'm just a little bit able to wear it on my sleeve to just be like, Hey, I'm sad or life sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and yeah, I got to say, like, I think it's easier. And I, mm-hmm. you know, as you're saying that, I'm like, yeah, it does feel easier to do that with young yeah. children because they have no judgment. Mm-hmm. They're just like, they're just like, why? Uh. Like usually you're smiling and you've got a beautiful smile, Mike. Oh, and they're like, wait, why are you saying, why are you saying you sad? Like, yeah, I, I totally get that. And I wonder if it's maybe just because like the world is so egocentric, like you mentioned before that mm-hmm. they're like, okay, I can recognize you're sad and I'm going to go over here and play trains. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
<laughs> I don't know, but for me, it feels a little bit easier and more authentic to be with toddlers and, and showing my emotions like that. And then I think about it, I think like on the opposite side, because we also serve older kids, elementary school age kids and children on our program. And for me, I'm always like, man, I, I feel it. Like I have to be so much more intentional in how I'm expressing my emotions and just like in all forms, right? So facially, vocally, even with my posture. Yeah. And children at that age, around six to 10, they're so much more or less egocentric and even more perceptive than their toddler counterparts. And each action that I'm doing, that we're doing, is communicating or even attempting to mask our current emotional state. So I feel like I'm always hypervigilant, vigilant in, in that aspect when I'm with our bigger kids. Because really, all day long, they're exposed to these behaviors that are associated with their gender. Um, you know, males don't cry. Males have to be rough. Males have to, you know, be bullies and all this. Be loud yeah, and assertive. Yeah. yeah. And over time, it's just through this cognitive learning, the socialization, this experiences that are normalizing it for them. So finding ways and opportunities for me to counteract that by telling them antidotes about how I used to dance ballet or or skipping rope in class. And can't believe I just said skipping rope because <laughs> I think I just aged myself. But it's jumping rope, man. Jumping rope, right? <laughs> or or wearing colors that like pink or yellow that have historically been associated with femme-identity people. Or, shit, even my air braider one afternoon by one of the kids in, in the program, which let me tell you, man, it is so much cheaper than going to the hairdresser. I bet. <laughs> and then... You know, even just inviting male participations into some of the games we're playing is is really important to give a counter narrative to the master narrative. Right. We'll be right back. Hilltop Children's Center is a high quality preschool after school program and professional development institute of early learning and inquiry serving the Seattle community since 1971. Together, we are working with the next generation of inventors, leaders, thinkers, artists, and social activists. For more information on our professional development and community outreach, including workshops, presentations, blogs, coaching and consulting, and of course, this NAPCAST, please visit www.hilltopcc.org. So Nick, Children are wired for empathy. So if we're assisting that apologies in the word sorry is not necessary, then what do we do? Yeah, you know, I, yeah, I believe um, given the right circumstances, all human brains are set up and ready to be empathetic. And that's our, our natural desire of being or and, and so we're social creatures. Um, we, we need people and we, we have seen over time in history, like what happens when young human beings are deprived of that. Mm -hmm. And when they're deprived of early positive, early learning play experiences and social experiences. And I think if we're insisting on teaching young children or I insist on teaching my toddlers not to say, I'm sorry, what I'm doing is guiding them through a process of accountability, mm -hmm. um, 
recognizing that you know there's consequences to actions and this again all this sounds all really big but toddlers can do this and it's all just through experience and through real life things it's like if i see you hitting this person with that toy I'm going to take that toy and move you away until you're ready to be safe. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, my job is to keep you safe and is to keep other people safe. Mm-hmm. Hitting someone with that car, that metal car is yeah. not safe. I'm not going to have them then go over and say, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. But what we have coached them to do is to be like, are you okay? Do you need anything? Checking in on them. Yeah. And, and really just establishing the process of empathy and not, Necess- and, and I think saying I'm sorry is jumping to the product too quick mm-hmm. of empathy, right? Mm-hmm. But really at this young age, we want children to understand that there is a nuanced process to, to remedy a situation with someone. And then too many times have I seen um, – and, I, used to, and, and I, I think I called it out on myself – because I used to be like, go tell them you're sorry, yeah. you know, and I would try to empathize like or try to model what it is that sorry should sound like this. Mm. And, you know, lower my voice yeah. and a little <laughs> a little lighter and be like, I'm sorry, Mike, mm. you know, go yeah. tell your friend. I didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> With but hunched over. Yeah. You know, and just kind of like and, lean mm. in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, kids realize like, oh, all I have to do is say I'm sorry and I can bail on the situation. Yeah. <laughs> So and then and then it becomes this contentious thing where mm-hmm. they're like, "I said I'm sorry. Why are you having me keep going through this?" And then that's how they become politicians, <laughs> <laughs> right? And and again, it, and like I said earlier in the episode, and we start bastardizing the word. You know, it becomes useless. It becomes it becomes null of its uh, of its worth, and it and I think it really takes away from the actual process of empathy building in young children. And, you know, so really it's just guiding children through, through that process and, and also, and again, keeping them accountable, like that example with the metal car and like, yep, you went through the process and I'm still not letting you have the metal car, you know, and that's just how it is. And we're going to move on. (laughs) So you mentioned that you, you use a model for, for kids, how to say sorry. Mm -hmm. Is there a way that you've modeled? how to make amends without saying it like Mm. both i guess are there intentional ways where you've created like these opportunities for children to learn how to make amends you know what like that's a really great question and honestly like i think once they go through that process of like hey you you made this mistake Mm. and we're going through that process of empathy building um, and then sometimes, you know, as they get older, you can start helping them. You give them language to help them clarify intentions, mm-hmm. whether it's their own intentions or other people's intentions. Mm-hmm. And just kind of there doesn't have to be an end to it. It's just like this is just what it is. Oh, they hit you on the head because I, and they were smiling with that car because I think they wanted to play with you. Mm-hmm. Here's how mm-hmm. you can play or, you know, asking that kid if you know who's hitting with the metal car or whatever were you trying to play with them usually they're like yeah Mm. you know at this age at the toddler age there's not really a whole lot of like malintent a lot of it's just like they're socially awkward (laughs) and they don't know how to you know do it like dara (laughs) (laughs) yeah and so it's it's helping them clarify their own intentions and communicate that to others and then allowing that other party 
to see what their intentions are. And then um, I guess to answer your question specifically, I have mostly seen, you know, once those intentions get cleared up, then they start making their own amends. I don't know if I've actually, mm. the only amends is like, oh, we got to get this kid an ice pack because you walloped them pretty good. <laughs> you know, and, and a lot of the times when a kid asks like, what do you need? The other kid will be like, I need a hug. And mm. they naturally make their amends. And then it's like, you'll see these two kids just go run off and play and do their thing. It's like, they were just like hitting each other, mm. you know? And I think to us that we, as adults, a lot of times, if, if you don't have that keen eye of, of development, let's say that you might just take it as aggressive behavior. Right. And then if you start treating it as such, then the child starts realizing like, Oh, this is who I am. This mm. is the role I mm. got to play. Internalize it. Yeah. And then kind of putting that, putting it back into the realm of um, working with Brown and black children. Yeah. If these children have certain stressors in their lives mm. and they're, and you know, they're just sort of always in a um, fight mode of fight and flight and they're not trying to be aggressive, but mm. they're hungry. They're yeah. tired. Yeah. They're, they're stressed, you know, they're, and I guess this is where it really comes down to all behaviors have an underlying need mm -hmm. behaviors and children aren't random. Mm. I feel like we just end the podcast on that. <laughs> <laughs> but and, and you you beat me to kind of my next my next thought about just some of the different different ways you've seen children express their sincere apologies. Um so have you is there is there any more any other ones you can think of or well, maybe I, some alternative ways to saying sorry or encouraging children to apologize? I think it's it really has just been about clarifying again i'm sound like a beating dead horse here but like <laughs> definitely you know helping children just clarify their own intentions and and helping them figure out the nuance nuances to situations i've lately i've been taking to calling accidents you know helping them distinguish what's on accident what's on purpose mm -hmm. and i call accidents like bad surprises <laughs> you know like yeah you were at, and toddlers are great at bad timing mm -hmm. <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. anybody who works with toddlers in um you know as they're getting to know their own body space they they all just kind of collide they're mm -hmm. like you know um bumper cars on two feet yeah and <laughs> there was this one time um in the sandbox one kid's like just running to me to tell me something excited that they just did and i saw it i'm like cool yeah come here and at the same time another kid's swinging off of a rope and mm. just kicks him right in the face mm -hmm. That kid gets us like, ah! and you know, I wouldn't have blamed him to get up and try to start like hitting this other kid out of just emotional, physical reaction. Mm -hmm. Um, but he was, he, after all that coaching that we have went through, and this was a kid who had particular needs that we had to just really coach. Mm -hmm. I was so happy to see that he just sat there and looked at him. And was like, I didn't like that. Mm -hmm. I need you to check on me. I don't like you kicking me in the face. Yeah. And the other kid, like, immediately got off the rope, got down on his knees. And this is without teacher prompt, but they, you know, had been coached through so many of these situations. Yeah. And you can see the empathy on this kid's face. It's like, he want, he just didn't know how to say like, I didn't mean to man. Like we, you were running and I was swinging. It was just, yeah. a, you know, That's an accident. Yeah. And, but he got down and just immediately went through the more or less the script that we have empowered them with. Right. It's like, are you okay? And trying, and he's talking in a low voice, and you know, and the other kids still like screaming at him, and 
and he puts his hand on because I also show him like, you know, give him a little physical gesture, mm-hmm. you know, put your hand on their back, give a little pat, make that physical connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, are you OK? You need an ice pack? You need your mommy? Like, <laughs> like what can I do to help you out? And then, you know, just hearing that and the kid was and then the kid on the ground was just like, no, I'm not OK. Be careful. <laughs> like telling him, like, no, I'm, I wasn't OK with that be careful next time, watch out, you know? And then I came in and I was like, and then that's when I explained like, oh, this was an accident. I was say, yeah, like we're, you didn't even intervene. I let them go through all. their process, mm. right? But then, but then there was this nuanced thing to interject on. Like, oh, learning opportunity, teachable yeah. moment. Because so often I think we're quick to rush. We're quick to like yeah. jump in and fix, right? To be like, oh, I have to, this is my spot. This is why they're paying me to interject. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if we're, if we're taught, we're socialized, um, but it's it's different here at Hilltop seeing how hands-off our educators are because of that trust right. that and, we have in the children. And trust in ourselves. Mm. If you if you know you've done an ad, at least an adequate job yeah. at, like, distilling particular lessons and, and, and a lot of social lessons is what I think we're big on is we're definitely more about like the social emotional piece. Mm -hmm. And so, and I feel comfortable and confident by this point in the year, these kids have been coached and have gone through enough in any good coaching. Like there's a lot of repetition and being a toddler, you're going to have lots of repetition (laughs) and lots of moments for it. So I trust in my own process and that what I have said, um, that I've given them the empowerment to do it themselves, right? Just like any other skill we're thinking of, of like, yeah, I can leave them with a, a glass jar of paint and mm-hmm. a paintbrush and paper, and they know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. Just as I can trust in my process of throughout the whole year, and it takes a long time, that by this point, I can just just sit and watch and, and then really gauge if I need to. Mm-hmm. You know, now, now if that kid who got kicked in the face got up and started going at him, then, yeah, yeah. then maybe I would, <laughs> but I could see that it wasn't happening. And mm-hmm. a lot of times you just got to trust your, yourself and be confident in the process that you have empowered children with. And even with the words bad surprise, I was like, that's not what I thought of. I, <laughs> my bad surprise is a poopy diaper, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man, I'm, I'm loving the stories in like, come on, show us one more. You got another one in you? Hmm. What about between adults? You know, I guess like, re- like again, taking this not sorry approach. Mm. My And it's not that I'm not apologetic, but what I like to do is clarify what I what I intend to do better next time we run into this. And that happens a lot with, mm-hmm. you know, being in the teaching team, especially a teaching team of three. Yeah. It's a lot of people. And, you know, really highlighting like, yes, I said this, what I intended to say and what I meant was X, Y, Z. My emotions did get a hold of me because I feel passionate about X, Y, Z. The next time we run into this problem, what I will do more effectively, maybe mm-hmm. not better, yeah. right? Maybe <laughs> more effectively and more efficiently is X, Y, Z. And, but not, am I going to say, I'm sorry for saying this, mm. but I'm going to let you know 
what my remedy in a situation is going to be and how I'm going to grow from it because this is a process. And I don't want me to say I'm sorry to make me feel like, well, I said I'm sorry. Yeah. Get over it. Checkbox. Yeah. Right. Like, I, I want there to. I want my process of growing from a particular situation to be highlighted, and and I am showing showing you verbally and telling you verbally that this is how I'm going to be accountable to the thing that is a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think of any like particular stories off the top of my head, but that has been my approach in being in a teaching team. Um, yeah. How about you? No. <laughs> I'm gonna delete that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, how many how many listeners do you think we lost today <laughs> from this topic? Hmm. I'm gonna say maybe like twenty. Okay, that's but like, but we'll gain thirty. Oh, okay. I was gonna say that's <laughs> half our viewership. <laughs> yeah. <I don't> know. <laughs> well, you know, it, this keeps getting more fun every single time we do this. Yeah. And I, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to sit down, pick your brain, to do this every couple of weeks and um, to give hopefully good, entertaining uh, and thought provoking commentary out there. Yeah. And, you know, please uh, hit us up of how you feel about this particular episode yeah. and, you know, how, how it resonates with you. You can email us at institute at hilltopccforcookie.org. Till next time, y'all. Take care.